We began a little series on opportunity. We're wrapping it up today. And uh, the general theme of the series is simply God's a God of opportunity. He gives us opportunity. He's in the middle of opportunities that he gives to us, empowering us in those opportunities. Because God is exactly unlike anyone who would keep us down or would condemn us to a life of ongoing futility. Our God's a God of opportunity. That's not to say that we don't have difficulties. No, we have opportunity in the midst of difficulties. Difficulties give rise to opportunity, but the life of a Christian is filled with difficulty. I came across a tweet from Elon Musk recently. He said, you are here. In the middle of these diagrams, 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451. Now, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, or maybe he's overstated things. Maybe it's not that dystopian, the society of which we are a part. But whether it's true or kind of true, the reality is, if we are there, right smack dab in the middle of a culture in decline, there's opportunity. That's a place of opportunity because difficulty gives rise to opportunity. As Christians, we are not Pollyannish in terms of our optimism. We don't believe that everything's sunshine and roses and lollipops and everything just magically works out on its own. We don't believe that. We do, we do hold tightly to what the scripture tells us in terms of we're living in evil days is how it's put in Ephesians. Jesus himself promises us in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You can count on it. But the rest of the verse, this is uh, chapter 16, verse 33 of uh, John's gospel. He says, he says, but be of good cheer. Take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, he's with us in our difficulties. He's an overcoming God. He gives us opportunity in the midst of these troubles and tribulations. He's on our side, but you're going to face trouble. And I, I appreciate so much the fact that we do have people that see the trouble and then enter into the trouble and the tribulations and the difficulties of other people. That's how Christians do it. Uh, one of the most encouraging things over the last year was that our young moms who have this Bible study that goes on on Thursday mornings decided we're going to minister to even younger moms. And so our young moms are ministering to some teenage uh, mothers through Young Lives. Young Life is this parachurch organization that reaches teenagers. Within Young Life is Young Lives, an organization or a, a ministry specifically to teenage moms. Now, I can't think of a more difficult situation than to be a, a teenager who's unwed with a child, in some cases a couple of children. That's a really, really difficult situation. So what do our young moms do? They enter into the difficulty because they see an opportunity to share the love and the grace and the life of Jesus Christ. I'm encouraged by that. I think we have, I know we have a God of opportunity, and I really do believe that we have a family that takes advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves. I had sent out an email earlier this week, basically to the effect of talking about what God is up to in 2023. And uh, Mike Leeds gave me an email back, and he said, oh, well, I guess you're a prophet. And I said, well, in a general way, I know that God's going to give us opportunities and we're going to take them. And I also told Mike Leeds, and I knew you're going to email me that, you know, so maybe I am a prophet. I don't know, but we're not getting that specific here this morning. God's given us opportunities. We're going to talk about some of those, but for now, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. 
We're returning to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Here the Apostle Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, last week we began this series, and I'm going to catch you up really, really quickly with two basic points. Because our God is a God of opportunity, number one, we need to be careful uh, to be wise. We need to use our time wisely. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's why we live as wise, not as unwise. Then, then number two, because we do have a God of opportunity, uh, we want to be thoughtful. And when I talk about thoughtfulness, I'm talking about being specifically thoughtful toward God because the text is saying, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be out of your mind, but be sober-minded. You know, be filled with the Spirit. And as we're thoughtful toward God, we're necessarily going to be thoughtful toward other people. And we talked about all that last week. Today, I'm going to give you one point. It's going to be super simple. One point this morning, the third point for this little series is this. Because we have a God of opportunity, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful. Now, let me just mention the context before I read this once again. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's in Rome. It's somewhere around AD 60 to 62. He's in Rome writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he's in prison. And it's um, it's not a bed and breakfast kind of a prison. It's a hole-in-the-ground prison. I've actually seen, when, in, my, in my one trip to Europe, we did go to Rome, and I saw where the Apostle Paul was kept. And it's a rocky hole in the ground. Imagine being in a dark, rocky hole in the ground. And then he writes this, from the darkness. He, he probably needed an amanuensis, somebody who was going to be writing what it is that he was dictating, because he may not have been able to, to see, and it's quite possible that, that not only was his handwriting bad, but it, his handwriting might have been pretty terrible in addition to just natural terrible handwriting because he had been beaten and whipped so many times. Probably he has, you know, the arthritis setting in and he's writing in the dark and he's in pain in a painful culture that is basically saying, we're going to execute you. And here's what he says. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart from the deep place. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's gratitude. Have you noticed that people who seem to be most grateful are most inclined to staying on the straight and narrow. Have you noticed that people are thankful, people who are grateful are most consistent in their walk with Jesus? I've noticed that. Have you also noticed that people who are grateful for what they've received, whether it's material blessing or personal blessing, spiritual blessing, the people who are most grateful seem to be inclined to be the ones who are most prone to take advantage of the opportunities that are given to them because they want to give away what they've received because they know that they've already received more than they could possibly deserve. I think in the very deep and meaningful way, our inclination to take the opportunities that are given are directly tied to our gratitude or to our 
ingratitude. I, uh, I was reading something from a, a, a Christian leader, Dr. Dale Robbins. He's a, a CEO. Basically, he's the founder and the president of a Christian ministry. And he said, I used to think that people who had a lot of trouble would complain, that, that, that they complained because they had a lot of trouble. But he said, I came to find out that people had a lot of trouble because they always complain. And I think there's something to that. Complaining never really fixes anything. That's not the same as saying, oh, there's something that we need to address. Oh, we can talk about problems. But complaining, complaining never solved anything. And, and have you noticed, too, that when comp- people are always complaining, you don't really want to hang around them? You're complaining about things all the time creates distance between you and other people because complaining facilitates or magnifies frustration. It also creates more discord and discontent, and it opens up more opportunities for the evil one to wreak havoc in your life. Complaining doesn't solve problems. Complaining itself creates more trouble. The complainer is the opposite of the person who's thankful. If you're thankful, you go, I've been given more than I could possibly deserve. And then when you're ungrateful, it's the attitude of, I didn't get as much as I deserve. Complete opposites. Last week, we, I, I referenced in the opening the movie from Marlon Brando on the waterfront. And Marlon Brando has this character who's this washed-up boxer, Terry Malloy. And he becomes entangled with the mob. And the reason he becomes entangled with the mob is because he had this promising career that he passed up on because he took a dive in the ring so the mob would make more money on, uh, you know, their gambling. Okay. And so he becomes more entangled with the mob, and he becomes entangled unwittingly in this mob head, and it's all, his whole life is messed up, and he's saying, you know, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. I could have had glass. And he's just, he's looking back on the missed opportunity, and he's grumbling. In the movie, there comes a point where he decides, I'm going to make better choices, and I'm going to stop focusing on the opportunity that I missed before, you know, shot at the, at the prize, at the title as a boxer. I'm going to stop focusing on that. And I'm going to make different choices. And when he makes different choices, he becomes the person he always wanted to be. A somebody. Someone with class. What does he do? What changes? He starts seeing the opportunity that's before him as actually even better than the opportunity he passed on before because the opportunity he passed on before was to become the champion boxer. Now he has an opportunity to take down the mob. Okay, what's better? Putting a mobster in prison or winning a a fight in in, in a 15-rounder? He gets told, hey, take a dive in the, in the ring. He does it. This time he gets told, take a dive on the stand, and he takes a stand on the stand. And, yeah, it costs him something. But when you stop looking back in regret at opportunities that are missed and you start looking forward to the opportunities that you have before you, it's life-changing. The difference between the two is are you sulking over what was missed or are you anticipating what is yet to come? It's gratitude or ingratitude kind of the kicker. We talked about this last week too. When it comes to pessimists and optimists, they're seeing the same kind of things. The pessimist sees difficulty in the opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in the difficulty. They're both seeing the same phenomena. What is the difference? Here's the difference. Here's the differentiating factor. Gratitude. Okay. So let's ask ourselves the question. Am I grateful? 
Am I grateful for what the Lord has already given, or do I think I deserve more? One is grace, the other is works. That's the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. Are you saved by, by grace? Have you been given more than you deserve? Or, or does God still owe you? Over here, you're religious. Over here, you're Christian. This isn't just about, hey, I need to improve my attitude a little bit. This is like a gut check on where you are with Jesus. Are you thankful for what God has given you? Your family, your friends. You ought to be thankful for everything, but there's some things you really, really ought to be thankful for. I am thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for, for my kids. I'm thankful for my wife. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary on Monday. And yeah, you can, you can, uh, you can clap. Um, if Gina were here, you'd need to give her hugs of consolation and everything. But, uh, I, I wanted to say our anniversary was going to be 30 years last Sunday, but you know, we hadn't done it yet. We still had another day and I went, I wasn't sure we were going to make it. Uh, but anyways. We did celebrate our anniversary, and I and I am really grateful for my wife. I really, really am. I, I, truly, I feel like I've been blessed beyond, far beyond what I deserve. And uh, I thought Gina thought the same, but until she gave me the gifts on our anniversary, she gave me a coffee mug, which was great. It's great. I needed that. She also gave me some coffee, which I think is a great gift. But the name of the coffee is Death Wish Coffee. It's high, it's highly caffeinated, which is cool. But then I thought, it's not the gift that counts, but the death wish. So I don't know. But anyways, I do feel blessed. But there are certain things for which I'm grateful. Uh, but I ought to be grateful for all kinds of things because even the difficulties have taught me lessons and put me in a place where I can glorify God in, in ways that I couldn't before. And I know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. And if God can use me to bring him glory, even if that means difficulty, and he needs to reshape me in ways that I didn't think he needed to reshape me, but then I look in the rearview mirror, it's like, yeah, God really did need to reshape me in different ways. I know enough to know I don't know that much. So I'm grateful for all things. Are you thankful for Jesus? Are you thankful for what he's given you? Or do you just feel like God owes you more than what he's given you? Are you like Terry Malloy? Oh, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody could have had glass. And then you're stuck in the past because you're just whining. Are you thankful for the opportunities God's given you now? Have you even looked at the opportunities that God has given you now? Do you know what God's going to give you in the future? If you're in Christ, I mean, your eternity is in heaven. He's already given you eternal life, and that's secure for all eternity. And then up there is going to come down here. There's going to be the restoration of all things. I mean, all of these things that God is going to give you is completely by his grace. Are you thankful for the past, present, and future, or are you grumbling? If you're thankful, you're going to make the most of the opportunities that are given to you. Now, a lot of times we see opportunities and we get excited because we think about the possibilities. And there are always possibilities. Sometimes God takes our little loaves and fishes that we give him and he multiplies and it's just really cool and fun and exciting. And I get that. And it's true. God does do extraordinary things. And sometimes he answers prayers, you know, with immediacy. Like our Thursday morning mom's club, they, they pray and then the next week they get their answers. It's amazing. You know, sometimes that, that really, you're laughing, but I know it's true. Uh, you know, sometimes just stuff happens and it's extraordinary and you see the blessing of God. It's wonderful. Uh, one of my favorite stories of this, and this does happen. One of my favorite stories involves this guy named Jeremiah, Jeremiah Lanfear. Uh, he was this lay person. God had touched his life. He was very grateful for what God had done for him. And so he wanted other people to experience the presence of God in his life like he'd experienced it in his own. So he 
started passing out flyers. This is in September of 1857 in New York City. Okay. New York City had about a million people at the time. And he started passing out flyers. He passed out 20,000 flyers in about two or three weeks, inviting people to come to a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting in an upper room of a church. Now, probably more than 20,000 people saw this because it's a big city. So he's waiting and waiting. And eventually, 30 minutes after the prayer meeting was supposed to start at noon, he hears some footsteps coming down the hall. Six people showed up, and they were all late. And it wasn't a Baptist church, okay? Uh, but but it, it, they, there were six. At least they came. The next week, there were 14. The next, there were 23. Within a short period of time, the people that were showing up for this prayer meeting said, hey, this is so good. We feel the presence of God, and let's do this every day. So they started meeting every day. And by the winter of that same year, 1857, three churches, not just upper rooms, but churches were filled every day with people who were praying. That's pretty cool. Fast forward to March of the next year, March of 1858. And this is so hard to believe. But every church in the city and every public meeting hall Think of all the public spaces, all the churches. Every day, all of those spaces were filled with people praying at noon. This prayer revival spread out over the United States. And historians look back on this and they say that's the third great awakening. And it started here in this country through prayer. The whole country's praying. And this revival crosses the ocean. And then it spreads to Wales and Scotland and Ireland and England, and then it spreads to Europe, and it's all over India and Australia and the Pacific Isles, and it's extraordinary because this guy said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and I'll pass out some flyers and pray. Now, we don't always know where things are going to end up. We started doing the, the Iwana this last week, and it was great. We had like, you know, over 20 kids there, and you think, well, you know, we're the only one in town. Maybe we could have 200. Maybe we could have 500. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do. But we don't do what we do simply because we can kind of predict outcomes or this is going to be the occasion. I give them the, the loaves and the fishes and there's this immediate miracle of multiplication. That can happen. Someone put it like this. I want to say it was Emerson. It might have been someone else, one of those famous poets that nobody reads anymore. He said, nothing great in history happens without enthusiasm or excitement. That might be true. Hegel put it differently. He said, nothing great ever happens without passion that's different. It's not just excitement about the possibility of results. Are you passionate for the Lord? And I can't help but think that Paul, in his deep gratitude, with a body aching from all the beatings and the whippings he's had in a little dark hole in the ground, I can't help but see the passion that is dripping from his words. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do it in your heart. Sing and make music. In your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's in the dark. That's different than just excitement.
That's passion, and it will sustain you because when you are grateful to the Lord and you know you've received more material blessing or spiritual blessing or relational blessing than you know what to do with, you want to give it away to other people. It's almost like the manna from heaven. If it's not eaten soon, it's going to rot, and so you've got more than you know what to do with, and you need to give it away and give it away and give it away. That's the way it is when you're thankful. I've got this friend, and many of you know him too, Dr. Walter Bradley, contributor to the Apologetics Study Bible, and he helped lead the near-death experiences class. And for, for, for decades, as a Christian professor, he did his best to influence his students and fellow professors. And, and you think, that's just fantastic. Well, it's pretty hard because you get pushback from the secular side of the equation, but you also get pushback from the Christian side too because he had so many... Believing professors, they would say, just lay low, leave well enough alone, don't stir the pot. That's kind of hard. And then when you're a Christian professor trying to, standing on the, you know, line between faith and no faith or belief and unbelief, you got people from both sides that are trying to knock you off the edge. And the, the judgment that can happen from people within churches, it, it's staggering. And y'all know this to be true. It's, it's just true. And so when you get, kind of shot at from both directions for the duration of your career and all you want to do is bring people to Jesus, it would just, it can suck your soul dry. And he's one of the happiest, most joyful, glad people you're ever going to meet. How does that happen? Gratitude. I mentioned in the first service, you know, Brett's been a pastor for a long, long time. One of the most joyful, glad, happy people. What you see on Sunday mornings is really the truth about him. How does that happen? Joy in the Lord. John Murphy, you know, one of my friends who's also the president of Reasons to Believe, kind of similar sort of experiences. You know, you're just trying to show people the reasonable nature of the Christian faith and you get shot at from both sides. And it's pretty easy to give up at some point or another, but he keeps going. I think one of the reasons he does this, even though he's an introvert, and he's terrified of standing up in front of people. He does this because there's just a joy in the Lord and appreciation for what God has given. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? If you are, you take advantage of the opportunities as they come. And being grateful for all kinds of things, it's, it's pretty difficult. But God does this. I want to read a story to you that I, that I, I, I gathered from uh, William Lane Craig. He's a great teacher, great writer. If you ever come across anything from him, it's worth your time. William Lane Craig tells about a, an associate of his, uh, a, a colleague of his at Westmont College when William Lane Craig was still there, I believe, teaching at Westmont. And this colleague would go to uh, the shut-ins and nursing homes once a week, sometimes more frequently, just to give some cheer and love to people who needed it. He paid a woman a visit one Mother's Day, and this woman would forever change his life. Here's the story of the encounter and, and of this woman named Mabel. I don't like to read such long passages, but I think you'll find that this is, is worthwhile. He said, on this particular day, this is a Mother's Day, and this is the associate. On this particular day, I was walking down a hallway I had not visited before. I was looking in vain for a few who were aware enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, people strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and 
looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering one part of one cheek, and it has pushed her nose to the side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for nearly 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, though somewhat garbled because of deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway where I thought I could find some alert patient. I found one, and I stopped at the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That is when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. I would go to her with a pen and paper and write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once because of all the things I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it is day or night? So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about as you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and I thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, and this is what she said. I think how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who is mostly satisfied. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to, to him I go. No other one could cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know. I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company. And without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. 
lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone. She had incredible power. Are you grateful? When you are grateful in the Lord, you take advantage of the opportunities. And I, I want to encourage you in the opportunities that God's given you. Because the opportunities God gives you aren't necessarily the opportunities God gives me. Because you're in a different place. You've got different gifts, different life stages. I want to encourage you in the opportunities God's given to you. And there are opportunities around this church for you. But there are also opportunities outside of what we offer institutionally that you can take advantage of. I don't know what your opportunities are. But I want to encourage you to take those opportunities as over the years you've encouraged me to take the opportunities that were given to me. One of uh, my my favorite memories that I will ever have of this church is when uh, a few years ago, I was especially over in the traditional service, I was preaching through Acts chapter 10 and just talking about how we need to cross barriers so as to have conversations and help people come to Jesus. We need to remove the barriers if we can and cross the barriers for them, not expecting them to cross barriers to come to Jesus. And I basically announced I'm going to be doing a Bible study on Sunday nights at the bar downtown. I was expecting for people to, if not crucify me, throw tomatoes, maybe get fired. In the traditional service, they clapped. And that's when I realized we need more uh, hearing assistance in that first service. Uh, no, actually, that's not really. I, I mean, I was really blown away. It was just, it was fantastic. Now, you know, I did the, the Bible study and we led a couple of people to Christ and it was good and it was fun and uh, there were downsides as well as upsides and all the rest. Of it. I learned from it. It was a good thing. Uh, but it wasn't quite it. Anyways, but it never left my mind the importance of doing something in a neutral location with regards to having conversations with unbelievers about Jesus. Okay. Well, an opportunity has opened up for me. I'm calling it the open door. I'm actually putting together a little website of its own. It's a promotional tool. And um, I went and talked to Big, which is the special needs adults facility in town. They've got this really wonderful meeting space over there that gets used on Sunday mornings, actually, for a church. And I talked to them about what it is that I was wanting to do over there. And, and I kid you not, the person that I talked to said... The woman who founded this place has always wanted something like that to happen here. What? So let me just kind of present to you what the, the opportunity that's basically opened up. And I'll give you more information in the future, but this is just kind of a quick shot through some of the stuff that will be on the website, just explaining things. Uh, the Open Door, a peaceful place where the majority can dialogue with Christ followers about Jesus. In case you didn't notice it, the majority are not Christ followers. Uh, the typical open door gathering structure, and this is either going to be a Sunday afternoons at 4 or Thursday evenings at 6.30 or 7. We haven't determined that, but here you go. Uh, Ten minutes you meet people, five minutes, a story of life change. I want there to be a personal testimony every time we meet together. There'll be some people from this church. There'll be some from other churches. Uh, the core Christianity moment, just a message specifically uh, on, on the core or mere Christianity. And then 35 minutes just to respond in conversation and then dismiss. Real simple. 
Why do people of all bents and inclinations need a place like the open door? Number one, most of us need a place to intentionally recapture the lost art of respectful dialogue. Number two, everyone needs a place to meaningfully connect to what is purposeful in life. And because of the dynamic of the open door, everyone can be a participant and not merely an attendee. And then number three, open and respectful dialogue can help believers and unbelievers alike to grow in their understanding of one another. Why does the majority need a place like the open door? People who are not Christ followers need a place where they can freely explore doing life with Jesus without the pressure of having to commit to any congregation or denomination. Number two, the typical Sunday morning church experience may not be the best place to explore faith in Jesus as those environments typically are designed for worshipers. Why do Christ followers need a place like the open door? Well, Christ followers need a place to freely communicate how God has influenced their lives. And number two, Christ followers can benefit from having their faith commitments challenged. The three ground rules for dialogue, listen, relate, I think what you're saying is, and then respond. Is the open door a church? No. The open door is not a church. The open door is a gathering of believers and unbelievers alike, and those believers are members of a variety of churches with various denominational affiliations. The open door has no membership and wishes to serve local churches by providing a place for Christ followers and the Christ curious to gather and converse. If people ever do make their way through the door of faith in Christ, they will need a church home. But the open door is not that home. It's merely a door, not the living room. Please explain the core Christianity moment. Fancy for Christ-centered sermon. While the focus of the open door gatherings is dialogue, there has to be a common content around which our dialogue can take place. That common content is presented in the core Christianity moment. How do participants know that the content for discussion presented at the Open Door Gatherings truly represents core Christianity? All personal testimonies, talks, messages, and monologues will have been evaluated by a spiritual advisory board of pastors with a variety of denominational allegiances and backgrounds to ensure that we are not discussing particular denominational takes on Christianity, just Christianity and the Lord at the center of it all. That's the idea. I can give you updates as it comes. But basically, just a, a realization for me, like a realization for some of you, that, and I hope you invite people to the 11 o'clock service. I hope you invite people to the 930 service. But sometimes we invite people and we go, you know, I'm not so sure that, that the person I'm inviting sings all the time. They probably don't sing worship songs to Jesus all the time. They may not really like drinking his blood and eating his body. And maybe they didn't come for a message, not for them, because who knows, maybe Ernest is going to preach on tithing today. Oops, you know, and then there's no discussion afterwards. You just hear a message for other people and you go home. Is it possible to create a better environment? Well, sure. You say, well, is is this all that unique? Well, not really. I don't know that there's anything going on cross-denominationally, but God has given me favor with other evangelical pastors in the area. God's given me favor with big. God's opened up doors of opportunity. And so practically speaking, it's almost like in a few weeks, we're going to have the sermons and then the small groups will be kind of bouncing off the sermons. Well, here it's just, okay, there's a message and the small group at the same time, only the dynamic is going to be a little bit different. Again, the opportunities that God gives me, not the same as the opportunities that God gives you, but when God gives you opportunities, whatever they are, with a friend or a family member or a coworker, you need to take those opportunities. 
Because while I do say God always gives you new opportunities, sometimes the particular opportunities that God gives you, if you don't take them, they don't last forever. It's true Terry Malloy was never going to go back and become a, a prize fighter. Probably right now I've lost my opportunity to win a marathon. I know it looks like I can, but probably that opportunity has passed. Make the most of every opportunity. And when you're doing that, you're going to be living in keeping with our core values as a church, which is service, kingdom growth, and people matter. This is who we are as a church. And so I don't know what all the opportunities are. I don't know where every opportunity is going to lead. I do get excited about possibilities, but quite apart from the possibilities and where everything's going to land, you just need to ask yourself, are you grateful enough to God to take advantage of what he's given you? Let's bow forward to prayer. Uh, God, you're, you're good, and we know this. And uh, sometimes we just need to count our blessings. Lord, you've given us good friends, good family, good neighborhoods, good, good state, good nation. You, But you've given us Jesus, and we didn't deserve his coming. We didn't de- deserve him to live the life he, he lived on our behalf and then dying the death he died on our behalf. We, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve opportunities because we've blown opportunities after opportunities after opportunities. But you're so gracious you keep giving them to us in, in spite of our... Uh, Laziness or disobedience or lethargy, you keep putting opportunities in front of us. You have been good to us in the past. You're good to us in the present. And we know where this is all going. We've read Revelation. We know how it ends. You win. And you win big. And not because we're so amazing, but because you are. Lord, we're grateful for past, present, and future. And when And when we are lacking in our gratitude, we pray, Lord, you would just break us of the whining, bitter, complaining, gripey spirit that has nothing to do with the gospel. Heal us of our ingratitude that we could appropriately speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encouragements. Enable us, Lord, through the healing that you give us by your Holy Spirit, to sing and make music in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name, in the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make us less and less of who you used to be and more and more of who you've called us to be for your benefit and for your glory. And Lord, we pray that maybe one day, as people look back on our lives or moments in our lives, they would look at us like maybe people looked at Mabel and would say, wow, What power. Father, be with us in the year ahead. We know you will. Make us aware.